Thanks for tuning in to the Newborn Promise Podcast, a production of Graham Blanchard Incorporated. You are listening to an interview called Grace-Based Parenting with Dr. Tim Kimmel. For today's show notes, transcript, and more information about your Newborn Promise project, please visit grahamblanchard.com. Well, welcome back to the Newborn Promise Podcast. I am Audra Haney, and today we're talking about grace-based parenting. As believers in Jesus Christ, we know that the gospel, the reality of Christ's death on the cross for our sins and His ultimate resurrection, His ever-present Spirit dwelling within us, should shape everything we do and everything we put our hands to. But how exactly do we let that spill over into the day-in and day-out demands of parenting? Today, Dr. Tim Kimmel, founder of Family Matters Ministry in Scottsdale, Arizona, and author of the book Grace-Based Parenting, helps us revisit what grace really is. He shares how a healthy view of God's grace can spill over beautifully into our family life and help you meet your child's core spiritual needs from the very start. Dr. Kimmel, before we get into the book, tell me a little bit about your family and your children. Sure. Um, My wife and I uh, have been married now 44 years, but when we first got married, um, we were in grad school and we were hoping that we could hold off on kids for that four years we were there. And then we wanted to start having a family and it wasn't happening for us. Uh, and, uh, so we were getting out there at seven years and no, no conception. So we started the process of getting certified to be, uh, to, to be able to adopt. And, uh, in our eighth year uh, of our marriage, just as we were about to adopt a child, we conceived our first child. And uh, back then, there weren't a lot of options for uh, adoption. And so they said, well, we, we're going to have to give this baby to somebody else. So then we ended up conceiving four children. But we were in the adoption process because we didn't mean to be married that long without kids. We longed for that, for a child in our arms and in our lap. And, uh, but, but God blessed us, and we got four kids. We had a girl, boy, girl, boy. They're all grown now. They married wonderful people, and uh, they've... Uh, They've ushered us into the Holy of Holies of grandparenting, and we have six grandkids right now and uh, about to have two, two more added to that list. Wow, that is so exciting, and I know it's been a fun adventure. You and your wife, Darcy, after becoming parents and treading those waters, you started a ministry called Family Matters to help others build strong families. Tell me how you became passionate about that. Family Matters is uh, a ministry that's been uh, it's been going for over thirty some years, and uh, the purpose of our we we want to see families transformed by the power of God's grace. Look at this into instruments of restoration and reformation. In other words, when God's grace gets a hold of a mom and a dad or a married couple, and they let it permeate the way they do family, it's amazing how it can. Um, uh, restore sometimes a family tree that hasn't been going as well, and it became, becomes a reforming impact on the community around them. And so we started this ministry, and uh, and also I was I was a youth pastor, and I, I I just kept seeing a lot of 
common denominator frustrations and problems in Christian homes they were dealing with. And, and as we started to find out we we're going to have children, it started us on our journey to just say, Lord, there's got to be a better way on this. And uh, he showed us some things. Well, it's a beautiful ministry, and you've written several books, but today I'd love to focus on your book called Grace-Based Parenting. Tell me what prompted you to write that particular book. Well, um, one thing, you know, I was, I was, as I said, I was a youth pastor, and, you know, you only get a couple of hours with the kids a week, and the parents have them the rest of the time, and, and I realized that, boy, you know, if I could just work with their parents, <laughs> I think I could help them out, because, see, Deuteronomy 6 gives the parents the job of discipling the kids, not the youth pastor or the professionals at church. It's the parents' job. But many of these parents just, they, they were just beside themselves uh, uh, in, in what to do. But, but here's probably the big thing that, cha- uh, that turned everything around for us, is that when we found out we were going to be parents, we did what I think a lot of conscientious Christian parents do, and that's we read uh, you know, the, the most popular books on parenting that were out there at the time. And, 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 and there weren't nearly as many as there are now, but there were some, and there was some helpful stuff in it. But we noticed that they fell into a couple of patterns that, that really uh, got us thinking, boy, you know, if you follow this, uh, the, the, the philosophy behind this book, I think we're going to be disappointed in, in our efforts. And, and, uh, and we just thought, you know, there's got to be a better way a better philosophy for raising kids. And my wife's the, Darcy is the brains of the operation. And she uh, made an observation followed by a question that opened up everything for us. She said, well, Tim, think about this. God's a parent. Uh, the number one metaphor in the Bible of God, there's 26 metaphors, but the number one metaphor is the parental one, you know, and Jesus taught us to pray. He said, pray our Father who art in heaven. She said, we're his children. She says, I wonder if we could study him in his role as a parent in the Bible and see if there's any patterns to what he's doing, any handles that we could put on it. And, and as soon as she did that, we started looking at the Bible, and everything changed for us because it just popped right off the page. And we realized that God did leave a plan for parenting in the Bible, and he didn't hide it somewhere. And the other thing is we didn't have to limit our study of the Bible to those handful of passages about parent-child relationships. We had the whole narrative because he's engaged in his people all the way through. And that's where the theme of grace came to the surface, because we saw of all the things that, that stood out in the way he deals with his children, he's a God of grace. And that's kind of prompted us to start codifying that. And we were primarily doing it for our own benefit as parents, but as it started to materialize and our friends started to see the impact it was having on our own kids, they said, could you tell us what uh, what Kool-Aid you're drinking or what, what, what did you find here? That, and uh, we started quantifying it for them, and that's where this book came from. That's so good. And, you know, in contrast to that grace you are talking about, were there any trends in the culture and even the church that burdened you to get this message out to others? Yes. And, in fact, uh, the, two, the two most uh, prevalent themes or philosophies of parenting were the philosophies we even saw in these books that, that were behind, uh, you know, kind of behind the pages. You could see it was framing it. And that the first one, the most predominant one, I, I, I think that I see in Christian parenting is what I call fear-based parenting. And that's where, you know, the parent kind of looks at the culture around and, and, and they really, man, 
the deck is so stacked against us. This culture is antagonistic to everything we believe in and all of our values. And then on top of that, um, there's some real clear and present danger out there when it comes to raising kids. And you add to that, maybe they didn't come from a family that, that set them up well for confident parenting. And so their fears start to take first position and their plan for parenting is basically designed to accommodate their fears. And so we saw this, this, uh, uh, this common theme of fear where people were letting their fears uh, basically lead the way and they were, uh, their parenting plans were all designed to accommodate their fears. Well, the problem with that is that's a dead-on-arrival plan. If you want to raise kids that have a confidence and a, and a deep faith in a mighty God who's sitting on a throne, who, the God who had the first word, the God who's going to have the last one, It's going to be hard if everything we're doing, they can tell, is based on our fears. Because, see, if we're followers of Jesus, we should be the last people afraid of just about anything. And I mean that. The only thing we're supposed to be afraid of are the things we're supposed to be afraid of. You know, I'm I'm afraid to cross a freeway on foot at rush hour. That's a good fear. Uh, But, 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 and, and by the way, in saying that, I'm not saying that there aren't really serious threats to our values and all out there. It's just that our God is bigger than that. And even though these threats are huge and our culture might be antagonistic, our God is bigger than that. And we need to have a confidence in it. So, so we saw that one. The second one that uh, I, I, I thought really um, undermined a lot of parenting is performance-based parenting, where you kind of have this idea of what's a nice Christian kid look like and talk like and act like and everything. And, and, uh, and then you, you want them to kind of fit that mold. I, I call it evangelical behavioral modification parenting. And so uh, this one is steeped in legalism. And legalism is the antithesis of God's heart of grace. Another one I saw is what I call image control parenting, where once again, we're trying to get our kids to behave in a way that makes us look like we're a nice Christian family. But who's kidding who? Uh, our kids are born with sin natures, and, and we, because we've never done this before, we're going to make mistakes. And so that one was, uh, I think, holding a lot of people hostage. And then uh, uh, another one, I'll just mention one more, and that's high-control parenting. And this one, by the way, is so easy to attract, it's so easy to fall into, but usually the, the parent that's the high-control parent is the last one to know it. Because, because What's interesting about high control is that we can always morally justify our high control tendencies. That's why we can't see them. And yet high control brings the worst out of a child. I, I wrote a whole book on high control. I call it the high cost of high control. And I define high control this way. is when I leverage the strength of my personality or my position against your weaknesses, uh, be it a child or whatever, uh, in order for you to meet my selfish agenda. And so the kids can figure this out, that this isn't about them. This is about us. And once again, that blows up in our face. And that's why, uh, you know, we just felt like uh, there's got to be a better way. And, and we found it in, in the way God parents us. Mm, that's excellent. And, you know, can you give me and the listeners a snapshot of what you define as grace-based parenting? I think a lot of people hear that phrase and 
they have the wrong connotation. You know, maybe that there's no discipline or no consequences, but it has less to do with discipline and a lot to do with relationship. So talk to me about that. Yes. Let's deal with the second part of your question first, because that is um, a standard pushback that we got when it came to grace-based parenting. And we sometimes even got this from pastors where they would say, hey, uh, I hear all this stuff about grace, but what about discipline? What about consequences? What, uh, and and, and uh, what about rules and regulations and boundaries? When, when, when someone would say that to me, I, I, I kind of felt sad in my heart because I now, I, at that point, I knew something about them that they don't know about themselves. And that is, they don't get biblical grace. They don't get it. Because if they got biblical grace, in other words, if it, if it clicked in them what, what it really is, they would never make that kind of a, you know, uh, irrational statement. Um, uh, and, and, and that's because I think when it comes to grace, the, the problem we Christians have is we confine grace to salvation. You know, I once was lost, now I'm found. I was blind, now I see. And we leave it there at salvation, but when it comes to living the Christian life, we move on to performance. But, but the way I can easily help somebody see that, that, that that's not even a legitimate question uh, as far as uh, boundaries and all, it's, it, it, I, I just ask them simply, is Jesus dealing with you and me in grace? And the answer, of course, is obviously yes. And then the follow-up question, did he throw the rule book overboard? Did he erase all the boundaries? Are there now no longer any consequences if we step out of line? And the, and the answer is, well, no, he didn't throw over the the rule book overboard, the boundaries are still there. And of course, your consequences. The Bible says them whom he loves, he corrects, he disciplines. And so, see, God, he deals with us in grace, but, but the boundaries are right where they always were. The thing about grace, that grace is not so much what we do, it's how we do what we do. And, and, it, and, it, and it launches from a position of our relationship with Christ that allows us to see our children through a different lens, this lens of grace. And, and, and so we're not seeing them for everything they're doing wrong and the problems and all that stuff and just wanting to um, uh, come back to them with some kind of punitive comeback. We're seeing them as people that were uh, um, created by God, that he died on the cross for them, and our job is to create an atmosphere of grace in our home in such a way that it, it makes it it, it 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 increases the odds of them coming to know Christ. In fact, if, if I can I can summarize grace based parenting in one sentence, and simply treating your kids the way God treats you. That's all it is. And and I and, and I can I can define the role of a Christian parent in one sentence, and that is the role of a Christian parent is to connect to the heart of their child in such a way that it makes it easier for that child to ultimately connect to the heart of God. Now, it's hard to connect to the heart of our children if we're browbeating them, if we're nitpicking them, if we're criticizing them, if we're comparing them, if we're yelling at them all the time. I mean, you see, God doesn't ever do any of those things to us. He does discipline us. He does get in our grill. He does stand on our air hose when we have it coming. But he does it graciously. And so... What we try to do is I say, how is God doing the very things of parenting that we're called to do in our kids? And, and how is he doing that with us, and how do we translate that into our relationship with our kids? And it only happens 
when we when the power to do this is not coming from us but coming from God. It's from our relationship with Jesus and we let his grace wash over us and and become the defining feature of how we treat others. That's so powerful. And you know, for our new and expecting parents that have the hope of Christ and they really get the idea of grace-based parenting, you say there are three core needs that our children are born with, really that every human is born with. So tell me what these are and how as Christians, we really have great gifts to give our children in these areas. Yeah, one thing that helped Darcy and I is when we could, um, when we could, distill down, uh, distill our kids' hearts down to these three primary driving inner needs. And we felt that there weren't two, there weren't four, there were three. These are what they're born with. And, and, and these are, uh, the unique thing about these three needs I'm going to share with you is that they've got to be met. They're either going to be met in a legitimate way or an illegitimate way, but they've got to be met. And, 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 I'll, and I'll tell you a reason why I think it's wise for every parent that's listening to learn these and never forget them. Because there's someone where he is, where he present, you know, in this conversation, and, and I asked him what the three driving inner needs of, their, uh, of a human heart is. He'd say, oh, they're so obvious, I can't believe you, you guys don't know them. And his name is Satan. See, Satan not only knows that these are the three core needs of the human heart, he appeals to them constantly with counterfeits. And so our job is to know these needs and then to meet them through the words that we say and the actions we have towards our kids. All that is preliminary. Here are the three inner needs. All kids need to know that they're secure. They're driven to that. Um, when, when they're first born, you know, after the, you know, the, they're delivered and, uh, and they power wash them and they clean them all up and, and, and check them all out. Then they wrap them up like a little burrito and hand them back to mom. And they, they swaddle that child because that, that, that child was inside the womb and that swaddling mimics that and makes them feel secure. Um, but we have to have a target to know how in the world to uh, pass on the security. And that's where I like to add a uh, a target to each one of these needs. And, and the way we build security into our kids is we give them a secure love, a secure love. And I define love in, in the book, Grace Based Parenting, as this. Love is the commitment of my will to your needs and best interest, regardless of the cost, and especially the cost to me. And, and, and because there, there is no such thing as free love. Love is priceless, precious, and very expensive. And it, it takes time, it takes sweat, it takes tears, it takes sacrifice. But when we give that to a child, it's amazing how that plays out. The second need all children are born with, they need to know they're significant. In other words, that they have intrinsic worth and value. And the way we can build that into them is give them a, help build a significant purpose into their life. Now, they have some generic, everybody has some basic purposes. We, we have a you know, we have relational purposes. We got to be friends with people. Um, um, we have survival uh, things that we, we do that, and accommodating purposes for, for the people around us. We, we have spiritual purposes. We want to be the light of the world, things like that. But also, th there's some unique giftedness that we've been given that's going to help us uh, fit a better spot in, in the big uh, uh, program of life, where it might be our vocational skills, things like that, God, spiritual gifts. And so that's one thing a parent does. And then 
besides a secure love and a significant purpose, the third need all kids need to know they need to have met is a need to know that they're strong or sufficient for the moment that they're in. Now, none of us are strong and sufficient for the moment in, 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 in every regard, but if you don't feel a certain sense of adequacy in the moment you're in, you're going to just feel ex- extremely off your game. And so the, what we do for that, the way we meet that need is give them a, give them a strong hope, a hope. And Jesus, uh, I mean, Sometimes people ask me, what line of work are you in? And I, I often like to say, I'm in the hope business because I, I serve the God of hope. And, and that's what I want to help people see that they can find in him. And, and so secure love, a significant purpose, a strong hope. And what we want to do, when these things, when we know these three things, and, and I develop them, I, I have a chapter for each one of these in the book, um, then... What, what, what's so cool about this is that then you want to make every word you say and every action you have towards your kids appeal to one or a combination of those, uh, a secure love, a significant purpose, or a strong hope. And you can even do this when you're having to get after them, when you're having to discipline them. And, and now, now think about teenagers. Uh, what are the three biggest problems that teenagers deal with? They feel insecure, they feel insignificant, and they feel inadequate. So if you have the chance coming out of the block for this child that you understand these needs and you want to meet these needs in them and you're using your words and your actions towards them, look what a gift you give them for the teenage years. It's amazing how much better off they are, how they can go through those turbulent years with a lot more uh, confidence and ease. doesn't mean they won't be challenged, but they'll do so much better than the average kid just because the average parent doesn't know what these are. And that's not a put down. How could we possibly know them unless someone tells, tells us what they are? But uh, the generations in the past, nobody told them. But I know these are the three needs, and you can see Satan going after them. In Genesis chapter 3, he appealed to all three of these when he tempted Eve. You can see them in, in Matthew chapter 4 when he tried and failed to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. He went right through these three doors into his heart. But, but he failed in that. That's why we need to do them with our kids. Mm, and you've touched on this a bit, but elaborate for me just the danger of not addressing these core needs in our children. Well, when, when kids don't have these needs met on a regular basis, there, there's just a, a, a lot of pushback that they, that they have to deal with. Uh, Kids that don't feel secure, uh, a secure love, a significant purpose, a strong hope, are, are much more easily manipulated. They're more prone to discouragement and depression. Um, and, and many times they're robbed of, of, of a lot of um, relevant, meaningful future just because they're moving into it with a bit of a handicap on the emotional side of their life. But when these, when, when these needs are met on an ongoing basis, uh, I mean, these kids in, enjoy a much more balanced view of themselves, uh, of themselves, of others, of life in general. They function better in school and at work and at play. They have the resolve to deal with rejection and embarrassment and peer pressure, and they're better prepared to have a personal faith of their own. So, you know, but here's the problem. I think one of the, one, the, the average parent thinks, well, no wonder – uh, I'm struggling because no one met these needs in my life. Any may might have met some of them to a certain degree, but here's the good news. Adults can close the, uh, close the gap 
very quickly on these three entities, and it all comes back to the cross and really understanding what Jesus did for us on the cross. And he showed us, uh, he gave us a secure love. He showed a demonst- uh, demonstrated secure love for us, a significant purpose. He gave us a strong hope. And the more we wrap ourselves up in him, the more these things become the primary features of our own driving needs. In addition to meeting these needs, you say that our children also need some freedoms. Tell me a little bit about that. Yes. Yeah. Th- these, these, there's four wonderful freedoms that, that God gives us. And when we turn around and, and, and make these the atmosphere of our home, everything changes. First freedom you want to give your kids the freedom to be different. And when I say different, I mean like weird, bizarre, strange, goofy, quirky. You see, grace-based parents welcome those kind of kids. But fear-based or performance-based parents, man, there's no room for them. Legalistic parents, there's no room for a weird, bizarre, strange, goofy, quirky kid. Now, I'm not talking about our kids doing something wrong. I'm talking about them just doing something weird or different or bizarre. And, and so, but our problem is when they do things like that, they either annoy us or they embarrass us. And we turn around and we make moral issues out of them when they're not moral issues. And, and, and many times we make biblical issues out of them when they're not biblical issues. Well, that, that's the way to drive a wedge between our heart and our kids and, and their, their heart and God's. Besides giving them freedom to be different, kids need to know that they have the freedom to be vulnerable. Where, where they don't have to wear masks oh, oh, uh, uh, and hide behind masks, that their, their inadequacies can come to the surface without fear of them being attacked. A third freedom that God gives us that we want to give our kids is the freedom to be candid, meaning that they can tell us what's on their heart, even if it's stuff we're not excited about hearing. It might be struggles that they're dealing with, spiritual doubts that they're going through. Um, it might be a problem with us. Now, here's what's interesting. Um, usually when we have a problem with our kids, we don't hesitate to let them know we're having a problem with it. But unless we're perfect parents, we're going to make mistakes too. Is that a two-way street? Now, if a kid is going to voice their frustration with us or a mistake we've made as a parent, they've got to do that respectfully. But we raise the odds that they will speak respectfully to us when they're frustrated with us if we speak respectfully to them when we're frustrated with them. Besides giving them the freedom to be different, vulnerable, and can, the last thing is we got to give our kids the freedom to make mistakes. Uh, let me put it uh, another way. Give them the freedom to be imperfect. Now, I'm saying that. I'm not saying that there aren't consequences when they um, break the rules. Because remember, the Bible says, them whom God loves, he disciplines. It's just that we know they're going to struggle. And, and, and they need to know that no matter what they do and no matter how bad they are, whatever, it's never going to cost them their relationship with us. That our love for them is not based on how they behave, how they treat us, or how they make us look. Now, where did I get those four things? I got them from how Jesus deals with you and me. He gives us the freedom to be different, vulnerable, candid, and the freedom to be imperfect. And the more we let his grace become the defining feature of our life, the more these things can become uh, the defining feature of our home. And one of my favorite quotes in the book, especially as a newer mom myself, it says, grace helps you find the balance point in a world of extremes. Explain that to some of our expecting and new parents and talk to us about some of these extremes, worries, and anxieties that we can really just cast off when we are truly walking in grace. Yes. For for one thing, um, 
I, I think there's a, there's a, um, there's a real push to overparent right now, uh, where, where they, they, we, they put enormous emphasis on things like, um, education and looks, beauty and, uh, sports or talent right now. Now, these are all wonderful parts of a, a kid's development. And I was an athlete and our kids were, and I, there's a place for that. It's just that these, and, and of course, getting a good education, my wife and I saw the cause effect between that. We're both educated people. Our kids are well-educated. It's just that the point I want to make is that education is important, but it's not sovereign. Sports are important, but they're not sovereign. Looks are important, but they're not sovereign. They're not the most important thing. But when we let them become that, then the spiritual things are going to take a back seat. And these things are superficial in, in, in the long run if we don't have the heart right. And, and, and that's why um, uh, overparenting is, you know, can really bring people down. And I think, once again, sometimes fear is because fear overwhelms us, we become more reactive in our parenting. Whereas grace is equilibrium. Grace shows, okay, these things are important, but they're, you know, they have their place, but there's, there's something else that's far more important. And that's the heart connection that we carry with our kids. A heart connection that we ultimately want to see transferred to a heart connection with Jesus. And, and, and when we do that, it's amazing how God comes to rescue. And the cool thing, too, about um, the, this is, is when it becomes the atmosphere of our home, it just permeates everything about us, including, it, 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 you know, for married couples, it starts to permeate them. And I've even seen God use this in a great way in single parents, blended family. It's amazing how God's grace wins the day. How else can it benefit new parents to go into this journey with a grace-based mindset? It is amazing when we're on the same page as a mom and a dad. Um, let, 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 me, let me use an illustration I often use with, with a crowd of people to try and explain uh, what 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 it's like when grace is in place or not in place in the home. Um, whoever's listening to me uh, on this, uh, you and me, Audra, in this podcast, they might be sitting in their car, they're, they're in their home, wherever. Um, but let's say, um, let's say I asked you a question. Would you say since I started this discussion, would you say that um, uh, I've, I've shown reverence to the truth of God and reverence to the Bible and, uh, uh, and, and great respect for the cross and, and what Christ did for us. I think hopefully they'd say yes, and, and great respect for them, and I've not spoken down to any of them, and I desire their best. You know, you say, fine. Yeah, I said, but what if it's 25 degrees in, in whatever it is you're listening to, your home or your car or whatever, but you have on summer clothes? See, it wouldn't matter how right I'm getting the truth. It wouldn't matter you have a hard time appreciating it or responding to it because you're so cold. And that's what it's like when grace, God's grace isn't the atmosphere of a home because it can be a home that's really strong on the Bible and scripture memory and devotions and going to church and serving and, and all, except they have the truth side of the equation, right? But they, they missed the grace part. But John 1:14 says that Jesus was filled with grace and truth. And that wasn't 50-50. It was 100-100. To 100. 
and, and, and I think it's in Second uh, Peter says, the grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. God meant for both of them to be in place. And when grace is in place, it brings things to a comfortable room temperature. It, even, and especially when you have the discipline, because the unique difference between parents that are filled with God's grace is they never punish their kids. They discipline them. Uh, our daughter, Karis, wrote a wonderful book called Grace-Based Discipline, and she draws this very uh, huge distinction. Because you see, God doesn't punish us because he, he punished Jesus in our place. Jesus took our punishment. Punishment is getting even with someone. It's, it, it's, it's evening out a score. It's, it's showing them, putting them in their place, right? That's punishment. Discipline never does that. Discipline is always designed to make a person a better person. Now, it can, it can be, have severe consequences to it, just like God's discipline with us does, but it's always designed to make us better people. I think grace changes everything. Uh, but it's hard to give what you haven't first received. And that's why people listening to this, I just, I just hope if, if you've never put your faith in Christ and what he did for you in the cross, you'd make that decision to do that. If you have, though, and, you, and you've limited God's grace to just his work of salvation, I, I, I hope you'll see that he always meant the grace he saved us with to wash over us, to redefine us, and, and to become the default mode of how we treat the people we come in contact, especially our family. That's a wonderful point. And just to close out our time today, would you mind praying for our new and expecting parents who passionately want to chase this grace-based lifestyle? Sure. Dear Heavenly Father, I, I thank you so much for, especially these moms listening who are, have um, been willing to take your hand and assist you in a miracle of birth. I pray, Father, you'll, uh, that, that they'll sense your presence and they'll sense your closeness. And for the dads who are listening, and uh, the, 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 the man that's going to define so much of how this child views themselves and views life and views you, I pray, Father, for them. Lord, I just pray that they will see that more than anything else, the biggest gift they can give their kids is an intimate and close relationship with you as a mother and a father. I pray that, this, that they will they will uh, get washed over by your grace, and your grace will come through them and, and change the way they view their child and treat their child. And, that they'll, and, and, and you'll use it to draw that child's heart close to you because they're treating them the way you treat uh, mom and dad. Lord, um, someone has said that children are a gift we send to a time we will not see. And for all these parents that are out there uh, going to have these kids and raise these kids, I pray, Father, that you will enable them to really, through your power and your grace, send a wonderful gift to the future, a gift that will um, represent you and your heart and your hope and your love, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness as second nature to them. Be with them. You love them so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this power-packed interview with Dr. Kimmel. We are so grateful to him for fitting us into his busy speaking and conference schedule. If you want to find out more about Dr. Kimmel and Family Matters, as well as find today's transcript and show notes, just visit GrahamBlanchard.com.